Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, another volatile week, we had the market sort of regaining a little bit of composure at, at the beginning of this week and then um, a fairly big uh, UK-led sell-off after the budget yesterday. So lots to talk about. Um, Blake, do you want to kick us off with your latest thoughts in the US? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, as you said, um, we're, we've had some really astounding volatility um, over the past week. It's been quite interesting. Um, you know, I think it, given how much volatility we have, we've just kind of been moving through these storylines so quickly. I mean, you know, rehashing kind of what happened last Wednesday and Thursday at this point seems dated. Uh, that seems like months ago at this point. Um, I think where the focus has really shifted, where the conversation has shifted this week is really about the response to this volatility, the response to the price moves, uh, to the fact that we've had yields, you know, um, you know, long end yields have been steadily increasing prior to this, but kind of um, capping off with last week's volatility. I think there's been a shift in the conversation to really about how central banks might respond and, um, you know, what that might look like, when they might do it. Um, and that's really what the focus has been this week. L- looking at the Fed side, um, you know, I think this is, I think we're going to get a slight change in tone from what um, they've been saying for, for really the past month plus, which, um, you know, most Fed speakers have kind of taken this, this line uh, that, you know, the reason yields are going up is very good reasons. Um, it's because of optimism on the vaccine, optimism around fiscal stimulus. And, you know, this is really nothing to worry about. Um, I think we're going to see a slight shift in that. I think, you know, I, I don't think any of them uh, are really going to start signaling concern, but I think what we're going to see more is that um, they will just note conditions, say they're watchful, uh, but that still, um, you know, they're not concerned given the yields have been going up for the right reasons. Um, I think the other thing that's also worth mentioning is that financial conditions um, are much more important to the Fed. Um, you know, where the 10-year nominal yield is, um, it, you know, obviously they watch it, but um, they're much more concerned with the broader economy and, and how those yields filter out. So, you know, whether it's mortgage yields, credit spreads, equities, um, you know, they're looking at this whole basket of indicators. And if you look across that basket, you know, things really haven't been, been that bad. Yes, we had some volatility last week, but um, overall financial conditions are still at a very accommodative level. Um, and, and I think that's something that probably gives the Fed a lot of comfort. And one of the reasons we're not really going to see the Fed um, you know, kind of ramping up their language and and really kind of signaling that they're concerned uh, about where yields have gone. You really need to see that second piece. You need to see the rising yields start to bleed over into financial conditions and start threatening their dual mandate. Um, you know, threatening to kind of derail uh, growth or or uh, uh, eat into some of these inflation expectations, the pickup in inflation expectations we've got. So, um, absent that, I, I think they're going to you know say they're watchful. It's something they're they, they've you know, they've obviously noticed it would be a little bit um, tone deaf of them to not say anything about it, uh, but we're not going to see them ramp it up any further than that and certainly not uh, take any action. I think one of the big conversations that's kind of picked up over the last few days as we're recording this is, uh, will the Fed do kind of an operation twist or will they use their balance sheet to basically push push down on yields? And it's it's way too premature for that conversation. Um, we're, we're, we're well off of that. And um, at, at this point, you know, I don't think there's any reason for the Fed to, to really think about using balance sheet action or anything like that to, to counteract the rise in yields. 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I guess it's that's a very similar conversation to what we've really been having in Europe as well. I mean, I know the theme of, of the podcast last week was really how do central banks respond. But um, given that we recorded that pre the moves on Thursday and Friday, I think it's only, um, you know, this week it's, it's only been emphasized even more about what, what might the central bank policy response be. So we did have some consolidation in Europe at, at the beginning of this week. And I think a lot of that was driven by the flurry of ECB speakers that we've had over the week. You know, they've come out more so than we've had um, from the Fed and certainly from the Bank of England in terms of kind of talking the market down about how much they are monitoring these long term yields um, and, and what they could do about it. Um, there's been a it's a bit nuanced depending on which exact speaker you look at. Obviously, there's you know a spectrum of, of more hawkish and, and more dovish speakers. But I think the main takeaway I would say from the ECB speakers that we've had this week is that they don't mind this kind of good rise in yields as you were talking about Blake as long as it's driven by endogenous factors and and belief in in uh, the recovery and helped along by vaccine distribution etc but what they won't tolerate is a rise in real rates um, and so we have had um, a little bit of consolidation in, in real rates um, off the back of what they've been saying. But I think to really um, kind of consolidate that move, we will see some action from the ECB. So a little bit different from, from what we think for the Fed and the Bank of England. But when we say action, what I really mean is probably just um, using the kind of inherent flexibility within their program to ramp up purchases. So I would expect next week that we would see um, a pickup in the in the purchase pace for PAP, which obviously is a kind of luxury, if you like, that, that the ECB have within the their program that, that I guess the Fed and the Bank of England don't so easily have. Um, but I do think that we'll probably start to see a slight um, increase in, in purchases just to kind of back up the rhetoric that we've seen um, around how closely they're monitoring the, the development. Um, we didn't see anything uh, this week in the numbers. Um, part of that is because it, the, this purchase data was um, prior to the kind of route that we had on Thursday and Friday. Um, and part of that was because there were fairly sizable redemptions, albeit even with redemptions, they, they didn't show an acceleration in gross purchases. But I would expect that to be um, to come through the data next week and, and probably in the weeks to come. And I would expect that to kind of be the theme of, of the press conference next week as well. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, you were just kind of mentioning, um, you know, changes to the, you know, the flexibility inherent in the program. And it kind of brought me back to something on the Fed side that, you know, we, I was just talking about this likelihood of them doing twists. And, and I don't think, you know, them using the balance sheet uh, to counteract this rise in yields is, is something I see. But I think it's really important when we talk about central banks also to kind of separate out, um, you know, their their economic responsibilities. So kind of the dual mandate from financial stability. And I think they do have um, you know, p potentially concerns about market functioning, financial stability could actually prompt them to action sooner than, you know, than these kind of broader economic um, issues. The Fed doesn't have that kind of flexibility in their purchase program. Um, you know, they kind of make these monthly announcements. It's fixed. Um, making a change to that to push down yields um, is a very, very high bar. But I could see something more focused on periods of volatility. If they think there's risks in liquidity, if they think there's market functioning issues, I think the bar is a little bit lower to them doing something more targeted. And we saw that kind of in March and April of last year when markets uh, started to experience some real pockets of illiquidity. They came in and did very targeted day of operations. And, um, you know, I, I, it's just funny because we kind of lump all asset 
purchases uh, uh, together um, when we talk about the, uh, the Fed and other central banks. But really, there's kind of these two different avenues that they're thinking about financial conditions, but then also broader financial conditions and how that relates to the economy and the tools that you might use and the ways you might adjust asset purchases are, are slightly different there. And I think the bar is much lower on the financial stability side than it is on the, uh, uh, on the actually like pushing against yields to make financial conditions more accommodative. Yeah, I agree. And I guess that's why we've also had a bit of a shift from what the kind of focus or what the conclusion of our discussion was last week versus what it is this week, because last week we hadn't seen the kind of market moves um, that we've now seen that we had on Thursday and Friday that actually, you know, the pace of the move, the volatility of the move and the fact that that then started to feed into other asset classes and continue through on to Friday, I guess, is more concerning to, to central banks than just the fact that yields are rising. Um, Theo, what about in the UK? Because, you know, the UK was really what, what led the sell-off yesterday um, with the announcement of the budget. So um, talk us through what, what you're thinking there. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it was a very, very interesting day. Uh, not just the, the, the day of the budget, the whole week, uh, definitely very interesting. Uh, clearly, the numbers surprised to the upside. I don't think that anyone, even the more... Uh, you know, the more fiscally laxed, the more ambitious, the, the, the fiscal bulls had not, expect, had not been expecting so high issuance numbers. We talk about issuance that is good, 50 to 70 billion above expectations of most of us. So um, what does it mean for the market? Well, first of all, it definitely means that the current government does not want to... Uh, to bring back austerity in any possible way, it means that the current government is very happy to spend. So when we have, for example, guilt issuance at 300 billion, and we have been expecting 250, and many other market participants have been expecting around 220, we talk about clearly a big gap. So this is this is one on the on, on the on the spending on the issuance side. Um, from from the supply point of view, we do expect upward pressure to remain in the market. This is one. The other point is obviously, if you spend so much and you deliver so much fiscal stimulus, then also the the chances of of an economy overheating uh, go up. So if you are to price in that overheating that happening sooner rather than later, then obviously this is bearish uh, bearish rates. So it's not just the issuance itself; it's really also the implications of issuance and how it pans out. And yeah. I mean, it's we can talk about it in, in 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 really detail if you want. I mean, we can talk about even about the the different maturity buckets that they are issuing. <laughs> Sounds like we can we could be here for a long time. Um, so I'll I'll come back to the issuance in a second, but I guess just to um, get a, a view overall of of what you really think this means for markets. Does this change your or how bearish you are on UK rates. I know we had that uh, 0.75 target, which we hit, and then you kind of increased that, um, saying that you thought rates could could maybe, 10-year rates could maybe hit around 1%, but you did take some chips off the table in that short. Does this make you more bearish? Do you still think 1% is probably reasonable? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's actually very well said uh, that, um, I think fundamentally the 0.75 is the right number, uh, if we did not have so, such a budget, does the budget make me bearish? Absolutely. At the same time, it also makes me 
to expect more volatility simply because the market is being is is puzzled and the market the division between the bulls and the bears is getting bigger and bigger the market tries to figure out whether this is indeed the opportunity to just buy uk duration or whether this supply glut will have long-term lasting and damaging implications on the market. Hence also the, the, the reduction, hence our signaling is really stay bearish. We think that 10-year rates can touch 1%, but run that at half your typical risk simply because things will be very gappy. And I think for me, the main theme of this week is not really the sell-off that we had because of the budget is the intraday volatility that we experienced every single day because of the buyback or because of any auction. Or to be fair, a simple investor comes in, asks for something, and then that does move the market. And, and this additional volatility makes us pretty much advocate for less risk taking. Okay. So there's a lot going on in the UK at the moment then. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the issuance talk about then because I, I know this is um I can see you getting excited about talking about issuance already so um let's oh, yeah. think about <laughs> let's think about um linkers does this put linker issuance back to normal then yeah linkers in the UK market I mean, the way that I describe it is linkers are the real market the proper market it's not just the you know it's not called the real curve just as a coincidence. So clearly, we have a significant increase in the percentage of linker issuance. We moved from 6.8% in the previous year to 11%. Now, 11% is a low number for the UK, but it has historically been issuing around 25% in linkers, but there's been a deliberate attempt to reduce that. This year, however, linker issuance is back. I think what is very important is that not only in absolute numbers it is back, but also we will get more longer dated linkers. And longer dated linkers are a key instrument when it comes to supply because they have flows that are very similar to zero coupon flow. So basically your big flow comes um, at the maturity of the bond. And if you issue this type of instruments, then really what you issue is very long dated duration, which creates uh, a further pressure, further upward pressure on yields. So yes, because of more linkers. And also the other point that I find very interesting is longs. So it is not just that we get more linkers, we get more linkers and longs. Okay. And the other thing that I was going to say get more of, but I guess the other important point with the issuance is um, the announcement of the green bond as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually one of the themes that has attracted a lot of attention. So we will have the inaugural green guilt. Well, we'll have at least two issuance events in the financial year 2021-22. Um, 15 billion at least have been allocated to those green guilds. So this is very exciting. Now, there is an intention to create a green curve. And the DMO, they have been clear that a green curve means that it's more than one bond. It's probably more than two bonds, so at least three bonds. So you want to create something like a curve. So there is an intention to create a green curve. And, well, the unallocated is actually high. We talk about $28 billion of unallocated. So $15 billion definitely will go to green guilds. But maybe this number goes up even more depending on demand for the asset class. So, yes, green issuance is something that will play a significant role. And green issuance will be integral when we look at 
at, at net issuance numbers simply because uh, it will be uh, a significant proportion. So there is a desire to create liquidity in that asset class. There is a desire by the DMO to make this product succeed. Interesting. It's been, I guess, quite a, a big week in that perspective for, for green bonds, because we also had the first Italian green bond this week, too, which, you know, you, you talked just then about depending on demand and, and things like that. And, actually, you know, the evidence that we can see so far is that there is plenty of demand for green bonds. And, and that Italian green bond had had a very big order book in the end, um, especially as, as the first Italian, but also the first green bond from a, a peripheral country. So uh, a big week for the green financing market this week. Certainly seems like it's, um, you know, as we wrote in the year ahead last year, um, that we thought that, that this would be the year, what did we call it? The macroization of ESG and, and that this would be the year that, that green bonds really became uh, mainstream, if you like. And, and it seems like that is that is playing out. All right then guys, thank you very much for joining me again this week. Um, I'm sure that we will have, well, hopefully not exactly the same discussions, but I'm sure we'll be back next week talking about real rates and whether yields are still rising. And, and of course we will then have the benefit of knowing exactly what Pearl has said tonight and, and whether the ECB has pushed back um, through their actions, not just through their rhetoric. So uh, lots to catch up on next week too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.